The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. Hi, it's Maura Aarons-Mealy, host of The Anxious Achiever. Today, I bring you, I get this question a lot, where my friend and colleague and leading executive coach, Nihar Chaya, and I hash out a question that we hear a lot from the people that we work with. In this week's LinkedIn Live, Nihar Chaya and I dive into a singular and difficult question am I too old for this job? That's really a two-part question. Am I too old, meaning do people think I'm too old or too expensive or too set in my ways for a new job? And also, am I going to be adaptable? Am I going to be willing to put up with what it takes as a senior leader in a new role? Ageism is a real thing. In fact, three-quarters of Americans over the age of 45 say they've experienced ageism on the job, according to AARP. Little comments, kind of digs. We live in a youth-obsessed culture, something I've definitely experienced firsthand working in digital and social media for many years. And honestly, as I've been myself experimenting with, do I want a new job recently? I've been thinking about the role that my age and, frankly, my expense plays in how people will perceive me. One of the things I love about this episode is that we get super, super practical, even in the words you might want to use and the attitude you might want to convey as you're thinking about transitioning into a different role and concerned that your age might play a factor. Anyway, I hope this episode is helpful for you. I'd love to hear your thoughts about it and see us on our next live. You can find the details online on LinkedIn. Thanks so much. Hello. Hey, Maura. How are you? I'm super good. I'm super good. I have a new mic, so if anyone thinks I sound better, let me know. (laughs) (laughs) And again, if you're out there on the live, say hi. Tell us where you're calling from. Tell us how old you are. (laughs) Just kidding. Feel free to tell us how old you are. (laughs) Yeah, tell us if if you're young old in the middle anything you know and we definitely this is a a, a really uh fun topic i i gotta tell you that it's come up quite a bit in my work mm. um because i do i do tend to work with mostly leaders in more gen x but you know as time goes on you start seeing more leaders in the, in millennials and, and gen z as well and so I'm glad we we chose this topic, and I'm I hopefully we'll we'll be able to get some questions uh, going in the comment section as well today. Yeah, um, so I'm going to just start with just a couple of statistics that I think um, I found found interesting, and start by saying I'm 46, and I will be 47 on August 26th. So I'm right. really 47. Firm in the middle of Gen X, but the younger end of Gen X, I think, um, and. For many years at Women Online, my company, AARP was our biggest client. And 
Um, AARP is an amazing organization. I think a lot of people, we joke about getting the card and blah, 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 but like it is, it's the largest advocacy organization in the country and probably in the world. And, um, like many things having to really rethink what it stands for in this new world when 50 is like Cameron Diaz is over 50. I mean, you know, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and 50 is not what 50 used to be. And, um, but ARP does a lot of research and they found that three quarters of workers over 45 experienced age discrimination. Mm. And um, it's very prevalent and it's worst, unsurprisingly, in tech and media industries, um, which is where I come from. Uh-huh. So uh, I just wanted to sort of frame it up, but, you know, age discrimination towards older people, very, very real. And age discrimination towards younger people, not in tech and media, but in Mm -hmm. other fields is also very real. Yeah, for sure. I I was thinking about that too, that uh, we were framing this around uh, discrimination against older workers. But in fact, as I was looking at stuff too, it it is interesting that there's also a lot of that kind of bias that that uh, younger workers feel as well, and the tech and media thing. It, it, I guess it's not surprising. I wonder is it is it because of one the um, having to ramp up the learning curve of technology, but also is it appearance based? Is it the fact mm-hmm. that maybe in media? Uh, I guess it depends on really where if you're kind of camera facing or not. But I I, I was thinking how much of this is also related to just our own. Um, biases around visual like you know because usually we can't always tell how how old somebody is you know it's interesting about the visual i think that in tech you know we obviously have this stereotype that younger people know more about technology and that is true in terms of you know the sort of hard sciences behind engineering and it's very true so i come more from the content marketing side And I would want to scream every day because people would always think that the best content and social media strategists and marketers were super young because they're on TikTok, like they get it. And I would always say, they may be great on TikTok, but like, this is your brand you're putting in their hands, you know? Um, So I think it's a lot of our youth obsession, certainly in America, our sense that youth are cooler, they know more, they're going to be, you know, the ones out there driving change. And that maybe also because innovation in computer science is evolving so fast, like younger people are, I don't know. That's right. Yeah. No, it's so true. I mean, the fact that uh, you have 16 year old coders out there who are building businesses, you know, what's interesting is that I, so I actually came across uh, uh, Peter Capelli, who's at Wharton, mm-hmm. um, a professor that I when I that I didn't get a chance to take a class from, but I, I know a lot about his work. Um, he actually did some work on on this topic, and I, one thing that that I saw in a, in an article he wrote was there are actually some myths or reasons why people have biases against older workers, mm. and um, and and I'll just say them for you here. Uh, you know, one is that. The belief often is that older workers are counting the days until retirement. Mm. So they're not going to be as engaged if they're looking for a job. Older workers don't have today's skills, which is something that you've, you've talked about as well compared to younger workers, but also that older workers won't necessarily want to report to younger managers. Mm. And this is also interesting. Older workers only accept higher salaries. 
Hmm. So, so th- these are myths, you know, they're not necessarily backed by evidence, but it's, it, it kind of creates the bias that a lot of people might have around, do I really want to hire an older worker for a role that I'm looking for? Let me play devil's advocate for, with you. Why wouldn't an older worker accept only a higher salary? Yeah, <laughs> I totally agree. Yeah. And I think, and I think the belief is that, again, this goes back to what organizations have to think about is like, what are you paying for? You know, it's, yeah. is it, is it really worth, uh, trying to lowball somebody when you really want to get the experience that they bring to the table? Uh, and, you know, I, and I wondered about this topic also as it relates to both sides of the table. Are organization, do organizations do a good job of being open enough about how they're uh, dealing with bias? Are candidates also doing enough of a job of, um, you know, going after opportunities, even if they feel that they're, like, they're too old. And if they are going in those opportunities, are they showing enough adaptability, enough curiosity, um, enthusiasm, you know, mm. uh, as a, for instance, if I'm coaching a, an executive with like 30 years of experience, maybe they are coming into a uh, situation where they're thinking, why do I have to kind of adapt? Why do I have to prove myself? I've done all this. Whereas the younger candidate might be much more of a, you know, wow, big, you know, blue sky and really enthusiastic and exciting. And so it it is very, very different in terms of ways that people approach these issues. I think Um, there's also, I want to ask you a question in a minute, but I think there's also a perception that people certainly in the middle of their life, what we hope is the middle of our lives, have lots of other outside commitments and that they might not be willing to dedicate 18 hours a day to a job um, in the way that someone who theoretically is younger might. Again, I think that's a stereotype. Mm-hmm. I love to tell people that I had my babies and I worked, you know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, for me, I was, I was a mom who, you know, actually found when I had children, I actually loved working. You never mm-hmm. hear that story. It's always this, the total bias is that when you have little kids, you're sort of checking out and that we know that really hurts women yes. in terms of pay and advancement. And that's a myth. That's not mm-hmm. true for everyone. And so I wonder if that's also, um, and also we're, we're, we're seeing data about millennials and younger millennials and Gen Z not wanting to put in the hours. I mean, they I are totally not willing to put up with the shit that we put up with. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They, they have a whole new vision of what it's like to, I just had this conversation recently with a client where um, they're starting to see people leaving their jobs without a job in hand. Um, Even you in know, this economy. And, yeah. Because they're thinking, well, they're reassessing in some ways, you know, what is the real, their real sense of purpose. And, and he and I both are Gen Xers. And we were talking about how, like, I don't think I could ever do that because I'm just conditioned to look for security and kind of work my way up. Right. Whereas a lot of the younger generation is just more optimistic. Now we'll see if they're get their comeuppance at some point, but they're, they just have a general, I guess, broader view and optimism around uh, how to find fulfillment in in the Mm. career. I forgot to turn my phone off. Sorry. Okay. Well, let's get practical. And yep. listeners, if you want to chime in with a question, tell us where you're at. We'd love to hear from you. We we want to talk about a question of, am I too old for this job? And I'm curious if you have a framework that mm. you might offer if you were coaching someone who, you know, wanted to make a transition and wondered, am I, am I too old either because I worry I'm not going to get hired or 
am I too old to work? <laughs> you right. know, am I too set in my ways to work in a, a job like this? Yeah, I think you're touching on two really great points of, of a potential framework, which is um, thinking about the context that they're entering into and you know how they will be perceived, whether that's too old compared to the to the the criteria of the role. Um, but then there's the internal part of it, which is that, you know, why do you want the role? And, you know, and, and let's let's think about that, because some people might be looking for another job uh, because they are, you know, not sure what they want to do next. Mm -hmm. And that might not be as compelling a case uh, as a candidate, as someone who really is you know, driven to be in that company or be in that role. And so, you know, if I was coaching somebody who is a little bit older towards the latter part of their of their career who is looking for a new role somewhere, I would probably encourage them to think about, is this really aligned with your values still? Mm. Is this a lot, you know, do you, are you willing to kind of put in the work to grow? Because that's really a big part of, of developing it within an organization. And if you are, then let's find a way to demonstrate that along with what you're really bringing to the table. Mm. Um, and then with, with respect to kind of, are you too old for their own perception? I would say, you know, look out for some of the red flags out there, like the job description, for instance. You know, what's the wording on that? Do you get any any kind of clues on the culture that they'll have? Um, the, any clues on and, you know, do a little bit of LinkedIn searching and, and see who else works there and what kind of, you know, uh, what can you kind of surmise around the the level of experience that people in your role or around you in that role would have? Are you going to be surrounded by a lot of folks that are just right out of school? Um, are you going to be surrounded by other folks that are potentially late career hmm. and, and, and see if you can kind of get a sense for, I'm a big believer in maybe networking with some of those folks to understand what life is like in that company and really kind of design your pitch, uh, in a way that's going to be amenable, I think, to them being able to see, like, we could see you bit fitting in here. What are some of those code words you might want to look out for? So I think, um, things like, you know, uh, digital, you know, for example, if you're looking for someone who is purely tech oriented and digital, you know, uh, focused, are there, is there a big kind of emphasis on, um, you know, social media or being savvy around, uh, you know, some of the more, I don't know, I can't think of any words offhand, but I would say, you know, even, even like, um, you know, excited, enthusiastic, you know, as opposed to maybe technical skills, you know, I think it'd be interesting to see if there's a certain tone that's in these job descriptions that relates a little bit to the culture. Dynamic, entrepreneurial. Dynamic. Mm -hmm. And and I think, you know, again, we, the other uh, interesting factor here is the nature of the company and where they're going. Right. So, for instance, if you're a startup that really is looking for, you know, growth, if you are a late stage startup that's looking to IPO, for instance, maybe they're looking. One of the clients that I work with is a company that was a startup and then IPO'd. They are in, a, in that right position where they actually want more older people to come in to kind of be the, the parent, if you will. You know, to kind of the adults in the room. Wasn't Sheryl Sandberg hired to be the adult in the room? Exactly, exactly that. So, so that's where you know that could be your advantage. You could actually come in being the much more mature um, voice yeah. among a lot of early career folks who would, who who are really good when it was scrappy, but now need a little bit of direction and and kind of maturity, right? So that's another area where I would say you know think about where you can play to your strengths and and, and make those decisions around your job search. I think accordingly. 
That's so interesting. And you remind me, one of my very first jobs in the first dot-com boom was at a company that had IPO'd and um, really, and brought in an incredibly, my boss, Betty Hudson, incredible woman. She was, I think, head of corp comms at NBC. I mean, she was so experienced. Mm. And um, it, it was, she said, I'm the senior vice president. <laughs> she would joke. But <laughs> there really was that sense that like, we're ready for talent that we can finally afford. Um, and and I think that's super interesting to look at the growth stage. Um, any other any other clues that maybe, you know, like who who their their board is or what their yeah. strategic plan looks like? Definitely. I think I think so you're touching on an important part, which is who are the stakeholders that are, you know, had the most influence here. Um you know, I think looking at the website, looking at the leadership team, mm -hmm. looking at where they came from, for instance, uh, sometimes I think, you know, again, looking at more private companies, you oftentimes will have uh, a, a much older board that is overseeing. Mm -hmm. You know, they might come from VC firms or they might come from just appointments, but they tend to be an area where, uh, you know, if you're an older candidate, could you actually get to know those folks and, and really show your value that where you could, you, you could help. Um, and then I think also in, in the interview process, you know, I think when you are in those positions where you're being asked questions about your experience, uh, I, I would really encourage, um, candidates to think about how do you, um, make it kind of like an exciting opportunity for them to bring you on board, mm. you know? And I'm, and I'm not generalizing that like the older you are, the less enthusiastic you are. But I do think that there is a certain freshness that comes from, you know, younger career uh, candidates just by nature of them not having really, you know, done a lot beforehand and really kind of putting all their eggs into this one basket. I think there's a way to think about how do you, you know, I look back, it's almost similar to any kind of sales meeting. Mm. You know, how do you really make them buy you, uh, not just the experience you're bringing? Can they see themselves wanting to to just kind of learn from you and to hang out with you, and that you're also going to be willing to learn from them? I love that, and and I I should I should say actually when you're when you're interviewing for the kind of role that your network could be powerful, like a sales job, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's really appropriate to to highlight the relationships you're bringing. Yes. I've also though run into um, recently a sort of bias that I might expect to be in charge because of my age and seniority. Mm. And that's not appropriate for the role that I'm interviewing for. And sort of mm. like, are you okay? Like, do you, are you willing to do right. that? Which is, which is frustrating. Um, I, and I have to, I'm just going to, this is like so honest and raw, but I, um, as I've shared, have been sort of experimenting with like, what's, what am I going to do next with my life after selling my company and trying to do, um, workplace mental health full time. But I, you know, I've been applying for jobs here and there, almost like an experiment because I've been an entrepreneur for 17 years. Mm -hmm. And, um, I have applied for some jobs online that were definitely like below the skill set level that I have and have not got, never got a single email back. Nothing. Mm. Mm -hmm. And and I just was named, you know, shortlisted for the Thinkers 50, like, Distinguished right. Achievement and Leadership Award, you know, so like, my career on that end is going gangbusters. But oh, yeah. it's so funny, because <laughs> thank you. But <laughs> if I were to look at what it feels like to apply for jobs right off LinkedIn, which I've done a few times, 
bubkiss crickets mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is it, and, do you think do you think that there's the overqualified component there? I don't know. I mean, it's probably not getting even past an AI screening. I'm curious what you mm-hmm. think. It's absolutely the most. And I've had other friends feel, do that, especially friends who've been sort of on their own and coming back into a more corporate structure. Yeah. It's like, I don't even know what level I'd be at. What would I be placed at? And really yeah. feeling almost humiliated hmm. that their real life experience is not acknowledged in the job search. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is an unfortunate stereotype. I think that, that we fall victim to, you know, when we are already experienced and qualified. Um, and the, what I think is happening again, I'm not general, I'm generalizing here, but I think having been internal in organizations and done talent development and succession planning, Mm -hmm. I think what happens is at the very bottom of the pyramid, you have much more people uh, that you have the roles that you have to fill. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's much fewer roles at the top. And a big part of what I think organizations want to make sure they are able to do is, is kind of build the culture from within. Mm. And if you're coming in kind of here, like a level below the you know, C-suite or, or even at the C-suite, uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot more likelihood that you could be the outlier than if you build up from here. Right. Mm. And so I wonder if organizations are more willing to t- to bet on somebody who doesn't have the qualifications, but we can build them up. Yep. Right. Then yep. actually have somebody who's going to bring in a certain amount of skill sets. But what but what if they're actually too stubborn or too fixed in their mindset? And what if they actually end up leaving because right. they actually don't want to stick it out for the next 10 years? You know, that could be a potential factor as well. Can you teach adaptability to clients? How do I signal that I'm adaptable? Oh, I think, I think it's really in the evidence of it. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's really in the behavior. Like, are you actually demonstrating behavior of, of admitting when you're wrong, changing your mind, for instance? I, I oftentimes will tell clients, like, you know, you got to choose the battles. Marsha Goldsmith talks about this all the time. Like, one of the biggest flaws that senior leaders may have is that they, they win too much. You know, they actually look to win all the time. And that, that might be fine when you are, you know, uh, working on like a, a, a project or a problem that has an answer to it. Mm-hmm. But in leadership, you can't be the one that's always winning. You got to let other people win, you know, to build mm-hmm. trust, to, to let, to show that you're willing to kind of be a partner to them. And so I think adaptability is really around, you know, finding those moments to show that like, oh, okay, I'm willing to go the way you want to go, even yeah. if I might disagree with it. So you could highlight that in an interview by talking about a time when you disagreed with a team member, but let them run with it. And it was the right yes. idea, right? Something Absolutely. like that. Yeah. Because Jeff Bezos, for instance, talks a lot about the disagree and commit met- uh, philosophy that they he had at Amazon, where the idea here was that we can disagree, mm-hmm. but at some point we have to also move forward. And, um, and so somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose. And probably one of the most common themes we talk about in, in executive coaching is that as you move up, there's the trade-offs become bigger, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like my division is going to have to sacrifice something for your division in order for us to both get there. And so being willing to say, I can be right here, but I can also be wrong here and still commit to, to what you want to do is a huge part of, I think, being a team player. It's unpleasant. But I think it sends the message in, in an interview, for instance, that I'm not going to be just fixed in my own view, um, at, you know, no matter how much I bring to the table before I join. I love that. 
What are some other examples you could pull up that signal adaptability and sort of a willingness to be humble while still competent, right? Because there's that, you have to show that double edge. Absolutely. I I think that, and, you know, I was having this conversation with a client this morning about this, where he's an older, older executive also looking for a job. And he came into these interviews talking about all the skills he could bring. And he wasn't really kind of putting an emphasis on his leadership skills. Mm. And so the ability to build trust and, and motivate and inspire people. And so one of the things we talked about was his storytelling that you have to really think about the arc of that you can bring people along with you to share with them how this was a difficult situation for you to for perhaps to admit that you were wrong or to take maybe take the perspective of a junior member on your team. And, you know, to really bring it to life, you want to talk about how, you know, normally people don't really you know, defer to their junior employee. We don't actually do reverse mentoring where I'm going to be mentored by someone, you know, 10 years younger than me. But guess what? In this situation, I realized that I was the one who had the blind spot. Yeah. And so what I did was I actually learned from them and here's how it played out. So I think part of it is also creating those stories that, I mean, one of it, one of the parts is actually you have to do it. So you do have to actually, you know, be right. a little bit humble, right? But then I think you have to also develop the story that shows people how much of out of your comfort zone you went to really um, show that you can do it. And I think that's probably another area of this can be quite attractive to employers is that, you know, you've lived a long life, you're 50, 55 years old, whatever, you had a great experience, but are you still willing to get out of your comfort zone? Okay, that's attractive to me, because that's something that we can we can work with then. I love that. And I think also, showing that example of when I didn't know the answer, you know, I, I had um, Jeff doing on my podcast last week, who is the CEO of about a $70 million company that does facilities management in the UK. And um, the linchpin of his sort of leadership journey was during was during COVID. You know, they serviced restaurants. So they lost like all their business when restaurants mm. closed. And he he had a little bit of a breakdown. And he was in a board meeting with senior leadership trying to figure out how, what are we going to do? We have no business. Like literally there are no restaurants operating. And he said for the first time in his life, he said, I don't know. I don't know what we should do. And mm-hmm. his leadership team said, Jeff, you need to go and you need to rest. We're going to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And he let them do that. He left, checked out for just a couple days and let them make the decision and come back wow. and ask and say, we recommend you do this. And he could say yay or nay. And he said in that moment, his team became giants. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, I mean, that's a risky move, right? And it was his business, but what an incredible example yes. of leadership yeah. and, and vulnerability, but, yeah. but also how, what an incredible example of building such an amazing team, you know, yeah. that didn't essentially always need him. I mean, that's risky, but I just, that just came into my mind. It was such a powerful example because I think you're touching on another interesting thing, which is. We always talk about how leaders should empower their team to do more and step up. But if you don't get out of the way, you'll never know whether they will. And so he did that, right? And that, I'm sure, like you said, took vulnerability, took humility, took maybe it was painful to just admit 
you know, mm-hmm. but actually that then on the other side of it, now he can, he's probably seen evidence now that his team is actually on a whole nother level of potential that he was never able to, to, to really kind of fulfill. Yeah. Yeah. I think also probably it's really important to balance the soft skills and the leadership skills with, if you're interviewing for a revenue generating role or a mm-hmm. line, sort of a line, line, sorry, P&L role, you know, your, your the way that you're experiencing your network can lead to multiplication of revenue. Mm-hmm. It's probably a little bit harder when you're interviewing for a very senior role in a non-revenue generating capacity or in something that um, maybe all those years of experience aren't going to make the ka-ching happen as much. <laughs> yes, that's a great point. You know, how do you measure success in the role, and can you really uh, make demonstrate that evidence pretty early? Absolutely, like you said, if you're coming into a revenue generating role, there's probably more likelihood that you can say I'm either succeeding or failing. Yeah. And and when you're coming in as a leadership role internally with a function, for instance, uh, and I do think that there's actually in those situations, second the second example, there's a lot more room, unfortunately, for misunderstanding, mm. and there's a lot more room for over. Um, underestimating people's efforts and, and uh, potential. You know, I oftentimes will work with with executives that come in and despite their best intentions, they're inheriting a lot of dysfunction from before them. Mm-hmm. But it's easy to blame the new leader because, hey, you're in the role and you should take accountability, but they're not able to kind of go ahead and cut four more deals to prove that, hey, you know, I'm still bringing in value. So that's another interesting point you make. Um, are you coming in as an older candidate, for instance, without the benefit of having grown up there, and now you feel like there's an allergy to you, yep. uh, bringing in more value? Or L- Linda, is it Linda Yaccarino, who's ne- who's C- the new CEO of Twitter X? Yes. I mean, she's yes. totally been brought in to fail, and exactly. her hands are tied. She can't. She's famous for making ad deals. She's not allowed to make them. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, she was literally brought in to fail. Well, and that's such a great point, too. It's like, be careful what you wish for, <laughs> you know, just because you're coming in as a new with a new job as an experienced person. Are you are you being fully respected for the value that you could bring? Yeah. You know, because all of us have a boss and you might get a great job with a great title, et cetera. But that boss, if they're going to be in your way you know, then, then really you just, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's something, something quite heartbreaking about being relegated down to being an individual contributor again, <laughs> even though you bring in 30 years of experience, you know? So as we close out, I want to ask one last question, you know, which is what if you're, what if you're changing careers, you know, you, you, you want to try something new and you're willing, you're willing to downshift. Mm-hmm. How do you signal that in a way that, people will listen and take seriously and not just think, oh, this person is expensive and they come from a different field. Yeah. You know, I I wonder whether it makes sense to, you know, touch on that very lightly. I probably, you know, I, I don't know if I put myself in that situation, I wonder if I would not, I would not want to potentially start from a place of, hey, I'm willing to kind of downshift because that might send a message that your motivation isn't as much or, or you're not as reliable. Um, but I think it goes back to being adaptable. Mm. You know, I think it's the idea of saying, you know, I've worked in different scenarios where I've, I've led many people and sometimes I was an individual contributor and sometimes I was in the hottest part of my business and sometimes I was in the, in the slowest part. 
but I'm willing to roll up my sleeves and get involved. And more importantly, I'm also um, a big, uh, very eager to learn mm -hmm. about how this culture and this business is evolving. Um, so I think I, I would say having uh, the adaptability and having a forward-looking perspective, mm. you know, always, always having a perspective on how am I going to contribute to where we're going as opposed to kind of having to report to you that I did all these things and therefore let's try to fit this square peg into a round hole. We're, we're, let's look at this together and how we can actually team up uh, on, for the future. Yeah. And I have to say, as a dedicated pessimist, I think this is a situation where you want to convey optimism. You want exactly. to, I mean, I love roll up, roll up your sleeves. Like that's a great yeah. phrase. I, you know, I'm a real roll up my sleeves kind of person that conveys yeah. energy and enthusiasm and, and optimism. And I think that, you know, that is what you want to convey at any age. And when you're younger, mm -hmm. when you convey that, you can be taken a lot less seriously. Yeah, um, I used to be true. told all the time, oh, you're so passionate. And I know <laughs> that wasn't a compliment. Um, <laughs> but as you get older, signaling that roll up your sleeves, I think, is, is really yeah. positive. Yeah. Yeah. You might even say, look, I, I could look anywhere, but I really wanted to pinpoint this company because of what you're doing and how I feel it fits with my values and my work. Yeah. Um, like anything else, you want to really show them that you value them as much as you're hoping they value you. Okay, I do have one last question. Yeah. A lot of people I know in our in our age group, you know, they consult. They they leave a corporate job at a certain level, then they use they use that great network, they consult for 8-12 months, then they want to go back in. Yeah. How do you position that consulting period in a way that makes you stronger as an older candidate? Yeah. I would say it's one, I think it's it's like, hey, I was willing to take a risk. Mm. You know, I was willing to go out there and bet on myself, and that means that I'm I'm willing to to you know deal with change. I'm willing to deal with the ups and downs of of the economy, mm -hmm. for instance. Uh, and you know, like for instance, why I went into co coaching consulting was because I actually wanted to be of value to more than one party, basically. So the idea here is you could say, you know, I went into consulting because I want to bring some expertise to a bigger audience. But having done that, you know, and coming back to you, I'm able to bring in a perspective that's broader than your company. I've, I have best practices that I've gathered from so many other clients in this industry or outside the industry that I can then bring in. Because because remember, a lot of people who have worked in one company for many years, they are just by no mistake of their own, they're oblivious to really what's existing outside. But you're able to kind of bring that back into them and with, with a refreshing point of view. Yes. And there is no better way than consulting to yeah. really refresh and learn and go deep into, you know, companies you normally wouldn't have. So, yeah. Exactly. Awesome. Thank you, my friends. Thank you, listeners Always. and watchers. And we will talk in two weeks. Thanks, Maura. Bye. See you later. Bye. That's it for today. To hear more LinkedIn Lives, head over to my profile on LinkedIn where they're all indexed. You can subscribe to my newsletter too. And be sure to subscribe or follow the Anxious Achiever feed for more of these conversations, as well as my regular podcast episodes.